Church, let's just sing this out to him. Mm, so come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Cause you've got a light in inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. 
So come on my soul And don't you get shy on me Lift up your song Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs Get up and praise the Lord Come on, hold on, hold it back And come on my soul And don't you get shy on me Lift up your You've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Oh, come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up.
Um, I, want to, I want to minister the word of God to you today, and I, I believe the Lord has put something on my heart, but I want to start the message off with a vision that I received, one of the most vivid visions that I had ever seen in my entire life, and I believe it is a prophetic mandate and message for the body of Christ, and um, what, it's a vision that I like to call the Sea of Goats, and so I have it here on my phone. I'm going to read it here. But um, this, this is a vision that I believe is, is integral for this time and this season in history. And it's very, very prophetic. Um, and the Lord is actually, uh, I believe it's taking place right in front of our eyes. This is not a season, friends, that we need to shy away from the things of God and mess around and play with sin and do all these other things. As much as signs and wonders and miracles and the ministry of angels and all of the cool things with healing and all the things God is doing around the world are, are absolutely amazing. Really, it's a time for purity, for holiness, for character development, because when these things come and they fall on an infrastructure that cannot handle the weight of the presence of the, the kabod glory of God and the Shekinah glory, my friends, when we don't have the character that is in place to do it, we're just going to get jacked up and be more of a detriment to the body of Christ than a help. Because when, 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 the, when the manifestations do come, and we celebrate them, and they fall on this character flaws. It's just going to expose the sin in our own lives. We have to be about the Father's business, not for legalism's sake, but out of a love relationship with the Lord. He loves us, and He desires us, and He is captivated by us, and it's my joy and pleasure to pour my love back out on Him. We see it in the parable of the virgins in Matthew chapter 25. There's five foolish virgins and five wise virgins, and they were all asleep, and what happens is the bridegroom came knocking at the midnight hour, and when he came, there were five that were foolish that did not have enough oil in their lamps, and five that did. Now, all of them were asleep when they came. It, it's not that you cannot be asleep at the time. Nobody knows when Jesus is going to return, and not even Jesus himself knows, only the Father in heaven. That's what scripture tells us. But they were, they were, only five were prepared and had the oil for the time. The other five did not. This is a season to gather oil and to, to let it fill up your lamps so that you can rest and burn brightly in this season. And I don't care if you're recognized or if you're not. I don't care if you're in hiding or if you have a public ministry like we do. The greatest part of my day is not preaching at the gathering church today or ministering at Prayer Mountain at the retreat. It's not preaching in, in these countries where we're seeing literally tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people come to Christ. I was in a group of, of a class with fifth graders. Joshua was there with me and we ministered in this school. One of our partners was a teacher and they knew we were going to be in town and had the morning free. And they asked us to come. And uh, they said, would you minister to my students? We're uh, talking about history and stuff. And we thought it would be cool because you guys like, you know, know things about other countries and stuff. And so we're like, okay, that's kind of our entrance in, you know. And we went to minister to this group of fifth graders. And, you know, we start telling these stories and like literally jaws are dropping in the classroom. They're like, well, like at first I'm like, I'm, I don't really minister. I love my own kids and I like kids. Uh, I, just, I'm not, I don't really do kids ministry, you know. I'm, I'm usually minister to adults and, and to people in other countries, but usually not in kids ministry. But I, it was funny because like these kids were just jacked up. They were completely captivated. And, and, and we're like, wow, we're just telling stories just like we're having a conversation in the car kind of thing. And everybody's like, whoa, whoa, tell me do that, what? And then, then finally it came, you know, the question that they were all pondering. And it came in the back row and 
this kid said, what's the greatest thing you've ever seen while you traveled? And we're like, you know, they're like, oh, was it like an arm growing out? Or did, was it this crazy miracle that happened? Or did you see like a storm part around you? Or, you know, like, tell me the good stuff. Like, what's the best, juiciest one that you could ever imagine? And it was so funny because I looked over at the teacher and she, she knew that I had been to heaven. I had told her in the past and, you know, I, I'm like, that's a pretty good story, right? Going to heaven when I was 16 years old. Uh, I had an incredible encounter there. I could have wrote the book, Heaven is for Real. You know, I didn't know that that was a thing back then. I was just going through puberty, you know, and uh, wondering if the girl next to me liked me kind of thing while having my driver's license. But, I'll, but I'm having this heavenly encounter, and that would have been a really good one to tell, right? I had seen people encounter God. I had, had, I had even had visions in my own life at that point. And, I, I, you know, I, I, I had a lot of things happen. And as we've traveled, like, when you see crowds that large, it like you're like, is like, is this happening right now? Am I like in a movie? Like, <laughs> when when you have these things happening, it's crazy. And I'm in this classroom, you know, and they're like waiting for the good one, and I'm just like, okay, this is totally going to take them off guard, but this is the greatest thing. And I just close my eyes, I say the greatest part of my day happened this morning. In fact, it's happening right now. I see Jesus. He's here in the room right now. And he's the one my heart burns for. And I'm captivated by him and he's here in this room right now. And I say, I see him every day. It's the greatest part of my day. Spending time with him and getting to know him. And I just have my eyes shut like this and I open my eyes up in the room and every kid is silent. So the kids are starting to cry. And this kid in the back row, the most awkward kid in the room, you know, he was, he was clearly like the one that everybody like was trying to stay away from. You could just tell, you know. And he goes, hey, does he look like this? And he, start, and he starts saying what Jesus looked like. I said, yeah, that's exactly what he looks like. He goes, oh my goodness, I've seen him before. I saw him in my dreams. And all the kids look at him like, oh, you've seen Jesus? And he became the coolest kid in the class like after that. Like, like the hierarchy was changed in a moment. <laughs> but something became real in that moment because it wasn't something outward that happened. It wasn't man a manifestation. It wasn't a sign or a wonder. It wasn't a miracle or a healing. It wasn't a deliverance. It wasn't that an angel showed up and knocked at my doorstep. It, you know, it was that Jesus was here with me today, and it is the greatest part, and it is the thing that you arrive to. Can I tell you that in all of the mayhem that is out there in Christianity, and all of the Pentecostal and charismatic circles, and all of the amazing things that can be, and all of the prophetic communities, and all the things that exist around the world, and all of the prophecies, and the prophets of old, and, and even going back into Bible times, none of these things are better than Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the word. And can I tell you that we do not graduate from Jesus. Like we don't go from our, from our graduating high school diploma to getting our bachelor's and our master's and our MDiv and going up to the doctorate levels and getting a double and triple doctorate. Like we don't ever get away from Jesus. Like he is the whole point of the story. Like he is the gospel. He is the word of God. He is the word become flesh and he is here with you and me and friends. If you ever get away 
away from him. You are in deception. And it is time to repent and get back on your face before him. I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I, I enjoy and appreciate all that God is doing in his kingdom, but it's not better than his king. Matthew 26, uh, 6, says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. All of the things added to you are fantastic, but when you get Jesus, you get everything. He is the point and the desire. And when the bridegroom comes knocking at the midnight hour, and my friends, he is knocking. He is knocking today at the doors of your heart. He is knocking for salvation for you, but also not just for a salvation moment because many in this room have already done that. He's knocking because he wants continual relationship with you. He desires intimacy with you and to commune with you. He loves you. He's for you. He's with you. He's not against you. He has plans for you. He desires to prosper you. He desires to lead you even in the valley of the shadow of death that you will not fear evil because he is with you and he's greater than the evil. You cannot be overcome when this man is with you, the son of God and the son of man. And this man that is marching through history, this Jesus who has captivated the hearts of people for an eternity, where the Pharisees and Sadducees of the day and, and the Roman Empire tried to silence him and they tried to kill the Christians and they tried to knock it out and take out the disciples and these men that gave their very lives to advance its cause. They could not crush him because the grave couldn't hold him. How much more can we try to hold him? He is infinitely better than anything you could ever think of or imagine. He is stronger and greater and higher. And this man, he's my friend, and I'm going to marry him, and I know you are too. And he's preparing us for it. He's preparing us for a beautiful moment of, of marriage to join with him as one, and I'm looking forward to that day. Friends, he's preparing us in this hour. We have to get oil for our lamps. There's so much happening right now in this day and age. People are looking for a cause to fight with. They're looking for something that they can stake their claim with. They're looking for something that they can fight with and war with. And can I tell you, th there's nothing greater than putting your cause behind Jesus. <laughs> Even John the Baptist, in his suffering, because many of you have suffered, and I don't, I don't, uh, I don't uh, put that down or neglect it. It's real, and it's tragic. Things have happened, and tragedy has struck, and there's so many people going through hard things. But even John the Baptist, in his darkest hour, I mean, think about this. He announces that there's one better coming who's gonna, whose thongs of the sandals I'm not even worthy to tie or untie. Like he's greater and he's coming. Oh, look, there he is. Behold the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Repent and be baptized, you know. But look, now there's something better. Jesus is here. And his whole ministry in a moment is, is in this highlight moment where he baptizes the very son of God. And he comes out of the waters and the heavens open. I mean, this is the climax of his ministry right here. This is the moment he was born for. That he lived in a wilderness eating locusts and honey for decades. Just for this moment. He had the moment he had always waited for. And then the next day happened. And Jesus continued on. 
And Jesus' ministry begins, and the sick are healed, and the dead are raised, and the lepers are cleansed, and all of these amazing things are happening across the countryside through this Jesus. And John the Baptist suddenly just begins to disappear into the background. John's disciples begin to question him. There's more people following him now. He must become greater. I must become less. His, his heart is so pure before the Lord, and he gets to this moment where he... He gets put into a prison cell ready to die. And, and he's in this moment where he's about to die. And he says, send to Jesus and ask him, is he really the one? Is he really the one that I've been waiting for? Because I'm suffering in a prison cell right now. And I have a death date on my calendar. And my life is about to end. And I gave everything for you, Jesus. I've suffered my whole life and I fasted off the land and went without food and sleep and slept in the wilderness. I didn't have friends. Nobody ever understood me. Also, I could proclaim your message, Jesus, for my life. I laid my life down for you. And now in his darkest moments, he even questions, was he really even the one? Think about that. His whole life was a message for that moment. And Jesus gives this word to John's disciples. He tells them, send back to John. Tell him what you have seen. Tell him of the miracles. Tell him of the healings at the blind sea. Tell him the cripples walk. And then he says this statement that I believe needs to happen right now that you need to hear. He says, and tell him this. Blessed is he who is not offended in me. Blessed is he who is not offended in me. Does God offend you? Does he offend you? But I don't understand. You were supposed to heal me. You were supposed to save my family. Why did you let me suffer? Why did somebody die? Why did this terrible tragedy happen? Were you there when the abuse took place? Were you there when the tragedy took place? Couldn't you have stopped that car accident? Couldn't you have stopped that surgery? Couldn't you have stopped that sickness? Couldn't you have stopped the enemy from coming to my doorstep, God? Where were you? Blessed is he who is not offended in me. That was his message for John in the cell. Can I tell you, John's in heaven right now, and he's celebrating, he's just fine. But his humanity got the best of him in those moments, and I submit to you that oftentimes we do the very same thing John did that day. Even in his greatest Moments of life, the climax where he's baptizing Jesus, it soon became a distant memory in his life as he's suffering in the prison cell of his tragedy. Friends, we go through our suffering and our hardship as well, just like John did that day. And sometimes we question God, where are you in these seasons? Can I submit to you? Does God offend you today? Because I believe that in this time and in this hour and in this season, as oil is needed for our lamps, Pastor David, as the virgins are, are, are being set apart for the five that were foolish and the five that were not, as oil is being gathered in our lamps in this hour, there is a separation taking place, not only from those that are believers and unbelievers, Christians and non-Christians, but also in the groups of believers. And there are believers that maybe don't know who they are. Can I submit to you that it might be possible to be unequally yoked with another believer who doesn't believe? I'm not just talking about marriage. I'm not just talking about community and unity. I'm talking about people that have lost their way, 
who don't believe they maybe once did, but they lost their way when tragedy struck. There is an hour happening right now in the body of Christ, and this is the context of this vision. The sea of goats, as, as I call it. I'm just going to read it here. Jesus. I'm going to skip the first part and just go into this part here. As we opened the door outside, I'm with Jesus. There was a swarm of goats as far as the eye could see. The goats were all staring at us, and it was obvious we had all of their attention. They had a look in their eyes that was full of rage. I looked, at, looked to Jesus, and he didn't have any worry in his eyes. I knew that somehow we were going to work it out and make it through this. Behind me, I noticed sheep as far as the eye could see. So goats in front of me, sheep behind me. And I could see in front of me this sea of goats. But I knew that I was ready to stand with my good shepherd. I looked at the sea of goats in front of me who were cursing, who had cursing on their tongues and blood on their minds. We began to march forward following Jesus and something utterly amazing happened. This sea of goats suddenly split into two, just as it was with the Red Sea for Moses. We begin to march through the sea of goats, this sea of rebellion, this sea of rage, this sea of hate, this sea of seeming death to the followers of Christ, and this sea of impossibility. After we had all crossed through safely, I noticed that there were 10 sheep on the other side who did not cross. And I looked at Jesus to tell him of the sheep that had not followed him through the sea of goats. He said to me, these 10 sheep would not trust his leadership for it. In this vision, I knew that the 10 sheep represented 10 pockets in Christianity who would not follow Jesus forward when the fire began to increase when hardship began to increase and suffering began to increase. They wouldn't want to follow him forward when things were not as they're supposed to be and currently are. In other words, when the suffering increased. This moment would expose them, and these were the 10 sheep that the Lord showed me. Number one, those that are fully caught into denominations. Those taking their company line over the word of God. Jesus is coming back for the bride, but he's not coming back for denominations. Number two, nonprofit organizations and their tax exemptions. When this vanished, it would expose the hearts of some of those in them, but also some of those that were giving to them only for tax exemptions. The motives of the heart would be tested, and they would fail the test and not follow him for it. Those with government, number three, those with government provided income, housing, and food. Those with reliance on their provision from them, its agreements, its terms, its promises for debt cancellation, were unable to follow Jesus for the fear of the unknown in its agreements with them. Number four, those who cared more about their family's practices and traditions. The moment will come for forsaking father, mother, brother, sister, etc. It will happen 
And these sheep will be unwilling to follow Jesus forward when the time comes. Number five, even church buildings. Those attending the church versus those who are becoming the church. Those who are attending church versus those becoming the church. There will come a day when buildings won't be an option. And when that time came, their faith faded with it. I had this vision prior to COVID, Pastor, which is fascinating. Because as the church shut down across America and the world, I, as I talk, I, I, I talk to pastors for a living because I travel. And to hear the insights of different pastors has been fascinating because so many of the churches are operating at 10, 20, 30, 40, 50%, or some of them haven't even opened yet, you know, um, due to what's happening with all of the COVID stuff. Number six, pride. I said number six, pride. <laughs> what? Number six, pride. You know, this was the sin of Satan himself. Those who thought their way was better than God's way. Those building their own kingdom rather than allowing the Lord to build his kingdom through them. I was preaching on this Friday. The shaking's coming. <laughs> when the time comes, laying down their established and profitable ways would seem impossible for the humble future that is ahead. Laying down their established and profitable ways would seem impossible for the humble future ahead. Number seven, those who wouldn't leave their, the safety of their jobs for the unknown. Why? Because provision is coming from the jobs, but when God ultimately becomes the provider and he asks you to do something, there's probably some in this room that is applying to right now, where he has asked you to do something and you don't understand. You have a choice. What are you going to do? Those who wouldn't leave the safety of their jobs for his unknown provision. And I say that in quotes, unknown, because he knows. Number eight, those not ready to uproot from the land they've always known. I was aware that some would need to become foreigners in a different land. And they were unwilling to leave home. Number nine, those who intermixed their religious practices with the gods of this world. In our American culture, we don't worship idols in the physical sense as many in other countries do where we go. Yet we do worship other gods. They have many a name. And can I tell you, Jesus will not share his place in your heart with any of them. And number 10, those who wanted to be a goat and belong to their tribe. Those bowing to the peer pressure of lawlessness, of the goats, of rebellion, eventually will become the goats. When the time came to follow Jesus Christ forward, they would decide to stay with the goats because the odds of a miraculous future were simply too far-fetched. They thought that even if they ran, the goats would eventually catch up with them, and so they chose their herd without Christ. As I reflected on this in the moment, this was just my reactions to it. I was torn with emotion for my desire to plead with them to follow Christ. And yet I knew, I knew somehow that their decision had been made. 
I was quickly reminded in my spirit of the parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew 13, and I'll flip there because I want to focus here for just a moment. I believe this is a strategic moment for this body, and there are people in this room. You have to decide. I don't just want to have a nice Sunday morning service. Oh, that was a good word, Pastor. In fact, I would prefer you don't even remember my name and that you just remember that Jesus was here today and that he encountered you. I, I, want, I want you to know him and what he's doing in this time because that is what is needed, not words from me, but I believe this is for this house and this body today. Matthew chapter 13. We have this story in uh, verse 24 through 30. I'll read it here. Here is another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat. Then they slipped in and he slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy must have done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied. You're, you'll uproot the wheat if you do so. Let both of them grow up until the harvest, and then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. What's happening right now in this season is that there is doctrine, there is emotion, there are feelings that are being uh, 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 sown into the fields of the body of Christ over what the Word of God is actually telling us to do. There are signs and wonders being sown into the body of Christ versus over the Word of God, and as it is there. Signs and wonders are the voice of God, and they are meant to display and fulfill and confirm His voice. They are not to meant to be absent from Him. Even the enemy in Moses had rods that turned into snakes, and even he turned the blood into water when Moses was going through the plagues, you know? Even the enemy had those same signs and wonders, and they can be false from the enemy. The Word of God is true. It's right and it's whole, and we must pass things through the word of God. As, as things are coming in this hour, there are so many voices out there, and I hear it in the prophetic and charismatic and Pentecostal communities as they're all over the place, and there's so many different dreams and words and visions and thoughts. There's so many talking voices out there. There's so many men and women of God with a word and a now word and a this. I, I have a podcast on on a, a different magazines, uh, different magazines and media companies. I have a TV show that's out there, and I see it all the time. I mean, I can't say that every single thing is inspired by the Lord. There's a lot of stuff that's just people are maybe trying to sell something or get a paycheck. I don't know, and I'm not calling anybody in particular out or anything, but it's important that you don't get your word of God, your time with Jesus from the snippet article of the day, but that you learn how to tarry in your, on your knees in your secret place and hear from the Lord and pass these things through the word. We have to be about his business. And if we don't even know what he said in his word, how can we be about his business? There, there is a time right now in this season where we have lost our way 
so much. And due to the crises of the times, we have shifted the way that we are intended to be by God to fall accustomed to the teachings of the world and the way things are. We have lost our way, and it is time that we get back to the core of what God has asked us to do. I, I tell you what, that the enemy has come and he has sown the tares, and the wheat is growing up too with the tares, and there are good and righteous people in the land, and they have been tearing and fighting and warring for many decades, to be honest, before I was ever born. There are some of you in this room that have been alive and been intercessors before I was ever even on the planet. And can I tell you that your words are alive and they are active and they are still cutting through bone and marrow through what the Lord has set up in the word of the Lord in you. But as this enemy has come and he has sown these seeds, I believe that these 10 pockets of Christianity are going to be exposed when it's time to follow Jesus forward in the next season. Be sure that your company is not among them, but that you are set apart and following Christ. At the appropriate time, the owner did gather the harvest and was able to see what was good and what was bad. The bad was burned up and the good was collected in the barn. I knew this parable had taken place right before my eyes in this vision. The time had come and the Lord of the harvest had come to gather the harvest. Those who stayed behind were overran. This is not a season to back down and to play patty cake. Can I tell you, it is time to get on your faces before the Lord and to follow him forward through every situation. And I don't care if there's suffering, I care for you in the compassion of my heart and want to pray with you and love you. But, but if you're using your suffering as an excuse to not follow Jesus, I just have to say that that's not what John the Baptist did. He saw his way through to death and he is now in heaven. It is not a time to complain. It is not a time to look at other words and to try to follow the next popular teaching. It is a time to be about your father's business. I, I believe... Um, this is an hour that the audience of one is really coming into play. That we have to know his voice because there's so many voices. I, I love a story. Uh, Joshua, why don't you just come here real quick? I'll just have you share the story. This, this is such a powerful story. Um, I didn't plan to have him do this, but it's one he knows very well because it's one of his favorites. Uh, he was wrestling, and he was getting his butt kicked. And his dad's an amazing coach. And so I'll set it up with that. <laughs> Thanks for specifying that I was losing. Um, so it was a big home battle, uh, the home duel. I was really wanting to impress everybody. Meant, this match meant a lot to me, and I was losing bad. And, and, and I, was, I was on the ground. This guy was on top of me, and he was pounding me. I, it was bad. I was embarrassed. I just wanted it to be over. I just wanted to leave. I was so tired. And I, I don't know, maybe some of you guys have felt that way in life before, where you just feel like, man, I just want this day to be done. I just, I, nothing can go right, and, and, and it, I'm just failing. And I had all of my friends watching, and they were screaming, and it was loud. And we were in the gymnasium. And then my team, they were all screaming, and it was loud. And my coach was screaming, and he was shouting. The veins are bulging out of his neck. And he's like, ah! He just growled a lot. And then the, co then the other side team, my enemy, their team is screaming and cheering, and they're having a great time because... Their, their boy's winning, and the, and the coach is screaming, and he's, and everybody's screaming, and it's loud, and I'm losing, and I'm on the floor, and they're, this guy's beating me. I'm like, man, I just want it to be over, and I heard a voice. 
It was a voice I know. It's my father's voice. See, my father is also a coach. And after practices, he would come to the gym and he would say, Josh, let's run a few moves. Let's go through some things together. And he would coach me and I would listen and I would obey and I'd go through it. And when nobody else was there and everybody else left the gym, it was just me and him. Over and over and over, I heard his voice. He would shout. He would tell me what to do. I knew my father's voice. I knew my father's voice. And so then, amongst the shouting, the crowd, the, the storm of people screaming, the enemy on top of me pounding me and beating me, I heard my father shout, Josh, you've got more. He's tired. You can do this. Hit the switch. You'll flip him over and you'll win. I trusted my father. Because my father knew me. I know my father. Just like in John chapter 10, he says, I'm the good shepherd. The sheep know my voice. Because I call them by name. So I believed him. Even though I couldn't see but I could just feel the oppression. Everything else was saying I was going to lose. I was feeling, but I trusted my father. I, pay, I pushed one more time. I gave everything I had, and I was so tired. But I trusted my dad. I did the move. I flipped the guy over. I pinned him, won the match, beat the dude, stood up, was so excited. But the point was, I trusted my father. And when you trust your father and you know his voice and you can hear it amongst everything else going on, everything else going on, you can trust your daddy's voice. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when everything else is saying you've, you're done, it's over, throw in the towel. You can trust your daddy's voice. He's good and he knows you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Joshua. This is a time right now that is the opposite from every growth strategy that's ever happened across America and across the world. We're always looking for the latest how to grow a church scheme, how to, you know, not scheme, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> how to get more people, how to implement more whatever, because, you know, we want discipleship, we want harvest. But we're always looking for the newest and greatest and how to build the crowd and how to get more, 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 more. And I believe what has happened in this season is a display of what God is doing. When the Lord first gave this to me, this was pre-COVID, and I've watched it play out right in front of my eyes as the world has changed right in front of us. There is a sifting and a shaking taking place, and it's not about building a big crowd. And I'm going to show you in Scripture where God actually did quite the opposite, even through the life of Jesus, where he trimmed the followers and trim the need to get more, 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 and actually make it less, 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 less. This is actually what happened because the less is more. In Acts chapter 2, if you, I'll just reference it, but Acts 2, 12 through 41, you can find the story there. 
the Holy Spirit comes upon the, the people in the upper room. He had told them, don't even go anywhere until the Holy Spirit comes. And so there was something supernatural, obviously, that had to take place with the Holy Spirit coming upon them. They, the, the Holy Spirit came on them. Flames of fire came. They began to speak in other tongues. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized with fire. They had the supernatural boldness came out. And Peter, who had just, just weeks before denied Christ, came out of that meeting, gets completely, uh, literally zapped with the fire of God. And he comes out of it and he starts preaching to the people that are right there. It's nine in the morning and they begin to say, oh, you guys are drunk. (laughs) You guys are drunk. You're crazy. And he begins to speak with boldness and says, do not think we are drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. We have been filled with the Holy Spirit who was promised by Jesus long ago. And I want to just focus on the response of these people. The first thing that happened, you'll find it in verse 12 and 13. The people were perplexed at the teaching and the preaching of Jesus, of Peter. Why were they perplexed? They were perplexed as he preached the gospel to them. But can I tell you that when you begin to take a stand for the Lord and do what God has called you to do, people will be perplexed by what you do. It happened to Peter. How much more to you? Why are they perplexed? I don't know. Perplexed people are just perplexed. They're perplexed about everything. They're perplexed about how they should make their coffee. They're perplexed about how, what car they should drive. They're perplexed about what they should wear in the morning. They're perplexed about what they should do in their project list in a given day. They're perplexed about if they should do a garage sale or yard sale. I don't know. It's so confusing. Which one should I do? Just pick one. I don't care. Perplexed people are perplexed. It's just what they do. They're always perplexed. They were perplexed about the gospel. The second thing that happened, you can find it also verse 12, 13, 14 in there. It says that they ridiculed them and they mocked them as he preached. Can I tell you that people are going to ridicule you and they're going to mock you? If you decide to do anything for the Lord, ridicule is coming your way. Mocking is coming your way. And in fact, I'll just say this kind of for free. It's probably going to be from the people you don't expect it to come from sometimes. You know that it's coming from that certain person. They're going to ridicule you, right? They're going to mock you. You just know they're the mocker in the group. But when your family and your friends or those close to you or other even fellow people that are love the Lord, people in your intercession group, other ministers, other people, you'll find that it's interesting when they do it as well. And you're like, what is going on? I mean, even Jesus himself rebuked Peter, said, get thee behind me, Satan. Like, like even the enemy can influence our friends and, our, and other people in our lives. But they mocked them and they ridiculed them. And this was their response. Why do they mock? I don't know. Mockers just mock. It's what they do. That's why they're called mockers, right? What about liars? Are you surprised when people lie to you? No, because liars are liars, right? You expect them to, right? What about cheaters? Are people going to cheat you? 
Yeah, that's why they're called cheaters. Are you surprised by it? Just stop wasting your time complaining about it. Like, it literally does no good. Why do, why, why do people worry? They're called worriers, right? They just worry all the time about everything. And we make them our best friends and we worry with them, right? Just cut them out of your life or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, worriers are going to worry. Like, we get so hung up on what other people are doing and saying and thinking. And did you hear what so-and-so said? Gossipers gossip. It's what they do. They gossip. This is what people do all the time. But why are we so surprised by it? We get so worked up in arms over things that literally don't even matter. And this is what happened even to the disciples. But the third group that happened with Peter when he preached that day is they believed. And 3,000 people were added to their number at the very first gospel crusade, Peter the Evangelist, hallelujah. He, he, he demonstrated the first crusade, and I get to do them now. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> he showed people that they could believe. Even in a crowd, not every single person is always going to believe. Well, you're like, well, maybe with Jesus they would, right? No, it didn't happen with Jesus either. People, in fact, he actually sifted the crowd. We'll get to that in a second. The second uh, story I'll focus on is Judges 6. And again, I'm not going to read anything in particular in it. I'm just referencing the story. But Gideon had, uh, you know, in, in Gideon chapter, or Judges chapter 6, Gideon is commissioned by an angel of the Lord, found in the wine press, puts the fleece out. You guys know the story? Well, he gets to this part where they're going to push back against the enemy's camp. And what happened? It says that there were, there were, they were literally outnumbered four to one, and I believe the number was around 32,000 troops that they had, but the other people had even more. Like, they were severely outnumbered in this story in Judges 6, right? So what happened? Why? Well, the Lord says, you have too many people. Well, God, I don't know about your wisdom here, but like, we're outnumbered four to one. We need more people, you know? We need more people, not less people. Are you crazy, God? Like, this is what's going through his mind. In addition to this, God, I've never led a battle before. I've never led a war. I'm the least of my tribe. I'm the youngest. I'm the most forgotten about person in my land. And now everybody's afraid, and I'm standing up, and I'm terrified, and you're going to call me? And now you're going to tell me to get rid of people. Like, this is a great strategy, God, for how to build a good leader. Like, you're going you're gonna to tell them to follow me, and they're just going to ridicule me, and they're going to mock me, and they're going to be perplexed by me. So this is foreshadowing to Peter, right? <laughs> he limits the crowd down. Then the second thing that happens, the, uh, he get, or the first thing that happens is he gets rid of the people that are afraid, right? Get rid of everybody who's terrified who are afraid. Send them home. There's people in your life that are just going to be afraid. Why are they afraid? They just are. They're always afraid about everything, right? They worry about everything that's happening. And maybe there's reason to be in certain situations, but it does not trump the fear of the Lord. We have to fear the Lord and what his voice said. Can I tell you that people are going to be afraid? It's just what they do, but not you. Not in this house, because my, the spirit of the Lord is upon you, and he has chosen you and anointed you in this season. Don't be among those who are in fear and afraid. I, I feel like I'm preaching to somebody today. I, I feel like we're plowing ground today. Somebody needs a breakthrough today, and this is a word for you. You need to stop being afraid in this season. The second group that happened, he sent, now people go down and they begin to drink water, and he separates them by how they drink the water. Well, the people he got rid of were the people that were careless. They threw their, their, their swords and shields down, and they began to uh, leave all their stuff on the ground and drink the water, and they were careless with their equipment. 
Now, I don't know about you, but if you're going to go into a war and the enemy's prowling around like a roaring lion and he's literally, he could be in the bushes hiding, are you going to put your equipment down? No, but these people did. And so there's going to be careless people in your life and that's just what they do. That's why they're called careless, right? You need to be careful who your friends are and you need to stop hanging out with just every single person and taking every single word somebody said about something and you need to trust the Lord. Stop, stop being so careless with the people that are in your life because careless people are going to ruin the war for you and they're going to lose the battle for you. These careless people were then sent home until there's only 300 people left. Now in this story, I won't, I won't necessarily go into the end of it here because the last 300 were the people God brought a great victory with. But the focus today is on the crowd of people. Blind Bartimaeus is another one. You can read the story in Mark chapter 10, verse 46 to 52. And it says that in the story, as Jesus is coming to the town and there's beggars all around, that Bartimaeus said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And it says there in verse 48, that many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Why? Because they were annoyed with him, because he had too much faith, because maybe he, they didn't think he was the son of David and they thought Bartimaeus had it wrong. I don't know. But they were telling him to be quiet. They were annoyed by him. That's just what people do in your life. Stop caring so much about it. He, he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And a great miracle happened because Jesus stopped and he said, call to him. And then the same crowd, it's, it's fascinating. You can read it, Mark 10, 46, 52. Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Go, Bartimaeus. Are you kidding me? In, in two verses? In two verses, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. This is, this is what people do, like, and we care about it. Did you see what so-and-so said on Facebook? OMG. Did you see that Insta post? Man, I don't even, they're like tearing it up on the IG. It's terrible right now. Did you hear so-and-so sent a Snapchat? They sent something over on LinkedIn. They sent something over on Twitter. Like, just who cares? Just do something better with your life and get your face in God's book. Hallelujah. This is what we need in this season. Man, I feel the glory of God right now. I bind every spirit and attack of the enemy right now in Jesus' name. I pray this word be planted deep and rooted in your heart, that it will grow harvest in Jesus' name. I bind the enemy. I send him away. You cannot come back. Your assignments are canceled in Jesus' name. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and receive the seed of the word of God with good ground today. In Jesus' name. Man, there's a presence of the Lord here. People are getting a breakthrough today, I'm telling you. They are going to get a breakthrough today. <laughs> you are getting it. We see this in John chapter 6 with Jesus. And I'll just reference Jesus because he's my favorite. <laughs> John chapter 6, we have this amazing story where all of these disciples are coming around. And Jesus, is he's starting to sense what's going on here. He's, follow, he's going around. He's teaching the word of God. He's healing people. And everybody's like, hey, this guy's like an amazing handout. If we go with him, he heals us. If we follow him, he feeds us. <laughs> like, he just takes care of us. Like, 
I'm not going to go back and do anything again. The crowd starts getting a little bit bigger and his disciples are following around. Well, that's the kind of ministry I'm following. They got benefits. They're taking care of you. Like, like I got like a contract, a salary in this thing. Like he's going to take care of me and my family. Like this is the, this is the ministry I'm going to follow. And Jesus was like, all right, enough of this. Let's just, let's just set the record straight here. I am the bread of life. And you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, or you will have no part in me. Well, well, Jesus, that's just like nasty, man. Like, are you kidding me? Like, you want me to eat your flesh and drink your blood? I mean, there's no commentaries yet. You know, like, nobody's talking about this or debating, like, what's going on. And, like, you know, like, they're just like, you just want me to eat you and drink you? You're kidding me. Like, you're disgusting, Jesus. The crowd starts winnowing down a little bit. Then the disciples are like, wait, what did he say? Like, I was good with like the whole healing thing and like maybe we're going into the ministry, but like, I think he's off his rocker today. Like, did he sleep enough last night? Is he sick today? Is he feeling well? They come to him. John chapter six, you can read the story. And it, come, it says in verse 60, many of the disciples said, this is very hard to understand. Another version says, this is hard to accept. I love, I love the phrasing of that. How can anyone accept this? And then he says this phrase that I said to you earlier. Does this offend you? <laughs> he didn't care. <laughs> He's like, if you really want to follow me, I mean, let's, just, let's just get real right now. <laughs> Many were complaining. Stop complaining. <laughs> Does this offend you? Well, then, then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are the Spirit in life. Verse 64, but some of you do not believe me. <laughs> this is Jesus talking and they don't believe Jesus. It even happens to him. Come on, people. <laughs> For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who, wouldn't, who would betray him. And then he said, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. Then the disciples started getting a little bit furious here. <laughs> At this point, many of the disciples turned away and deserted him. It's the word of God. They turned away from him and deserted him. Sounds like today a little bit. Sounds like this, that vision of the goats there. They didn't want to follow him forward. And then Jesus said to the 12, now he got down to the core. Now he's like, all right, everybody else has left. Now I just got you guys. Let's see if I can mess you up too. <laughs> he said, Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? And in another version, it says, because one of you is a devil. <laughs> Are you also going to leave? Because one of you is a devil. <laughs> like, he wasn't mincing words here, people. <laughs> and then Peter says the famous words, where else would I go? <laughs> you have the words of eternal life, you know. I, I, I love that. Um. We believe and know him. Hallelujah. <laughs> I, uh, oh yeah, yeah, here it is. Sorry, verse 70. I had the verse mixed up, sorry. Verse 70. Then Jesus said, 
I chose the 12 of you, but one of you is a devil. There you go. (laughs) This is what was going on, even with Jesus himself. How much more with you and me? I was aware I had till about 1230 today, so I I don't know if that's normal, but that's that's what I'm thinking in my head here. So just giving you guys a, a, a clock here. Man, but I feel the presence here. This is so good. Doing what pleases everybody is going to lead you to an empty life. Doing what everybody thinks you should do to fill you is going to leave you unfulfilled. It's just what's going to happen. If you try to please everybody, you're just going to not ever be fulfilled. You're going to be heckled your entire life. You're going to be mocked. Naysayers and critics are just going to be what naysayers and critics are about your life. They're going to rip you down and tear you to shreds. The opinions of humanity do not matter. Can I tell you? Like God created you and the whole thing is to be crucified with Christ. So it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. That is the mission of my life. And God has done an amazing work in my life that that is coming out of my life right now. And it it was hard and it stinks to be honest, but it's amazing because you (laughs) you you get through to another side there and you just keep staying crucified. Hallelujah. But it's where you find your value. It's where you find everything that God wants to do in your life. It's where all of the adjusting and realignments happens in the crucifixion and embracing the crucifixion. Stop caring about the current opinion of the mob because they're just a mob and they're going to do what mobs do. They just mob people. Obedience, though, my friends, that is a byproduct of one who loves Jesus. Those who obey him and love him do what he commands. Do you love him today? Do you obey what he's asking you to do? Are you uncomfortable in the crucifixion process? Yeah, you you probably should be because it it is hard. And if you don't feel any pain, you're not being crucified. Trust me. Jesus himself was uh, literally ripped to shreds beyond recognition. The Bible says he was unrecognizable to the sons of men. That's what one of the versions say. Unrecognizable to the sons of men. I mean, just, just he was literally beaten to shreds. We need to love Jesus and value him above everything else. We need to value what he cares, value what he says. We need to put him above everything else and literally literally fight for his words that, that are piercing into our hearts and our lives. Um, how do you know what you're full of? We find in Proverbs it says that the heart speaks what the mouth is full of. Uh, or Luke, Luke chapter 6 says this, the, the heart speaks what the mouth is full of. Luke 6, 45, the heart speaks what the mouth is full of. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What have you been speaking about lately? I'll just leave this kind of as the closing before we go into the altar time. What's been coming out of your life? Look at the last 30 Facebook posts you made. Just look. Was it Jesus? Was it politics? Was it a cause? Was it the Bible? Was it sharing an opinion of some article somewhere? What do you post about? What do you care about? Ask your spouse. Hey, what do I talk about all the time? If you want to get honest, (laughs) they'll tell you. Trust me. (laughs) Ask your best friend. 
Ask your family. Ask those who are closest to you. Ask your pastor. And then don't be offended. <laughs> pastor Dave and Pastor Jerry, uh, Pastor Shirley, I know they're, like, they'll tell you if you want to know. <laughs> if you really want to know, you just want, want them to give a good shepherd answer, you know, they'll tell you. <laughs> the heart speaks what the mouth is full of. And the reason this is so important is because in this hour, as there's so many voices and opinions around, man, shot da da ba. I feel like there's like an axe at the root of the tree right now. <laughs> as <laughs> as the heart speaks, what the mouth is full of. It is an indication of what is going on in your life. Is what is coming out of you the opinions of the mob, of the mockers, of the naysayers, of those who are perplexed, of the politicians, of those who live in fear, of those who are careless? Is it those who believe? Is that the words coming out of your mouth? I can't answer that question for you today. But you can just look in your own mirror and figure it out pretty quick. What do you care about? It's what comes out of you that you care about. If it's, if, you, if I squeeze an apple, what comes out of an apple? Yeah, apple juice. Does, does orange juice come out of an apple? No. If I squeeze an orange, does apple juice come out of an orange? When you are pressed, my friends, and you are crushed, and you are persecuted, and you are mocked, and the weight of the world comes against you and stares its ugly face into you, and you are pressed and crucified, does Jesus come out? Because if he doesn't, then you need to repent today. I don't care how long you've served the Lord or how little you've served the Lord. I don't care if you've come today from far away or if you live here. I don't care today if you're an atheist or a Christian. I don't care if you're a prophet of the Lord or a witch today. You need to repent on your face before Jesus today. And you need to let the blood of Jesus wash you clean. You need to get filled up with his mercy and his grace. You need to read the word of God. And you need to let this thing just begin to ooze out of your life everywhere you go. Because if Jesus isn't coming out, then you're just taking up space to a world that so desperately needs him. I go to the darkest places on the planet. I hold the hands of the suffering. I watch into the eyes of those who are demon-possessed and in anguish. And they get set free one at a time, over and over and over and over again. Because it's what Jesus does, because he loves them. Because he cares so much about them. Because he shed the very blood in his veins for them. And oftentimes I, I go across the churches and believers that are, have it way better off, that are way more safe, than the rest of the world in terms of 
the natural things. And I wonder oftentimes where the hunger of God is. As all we have is knowledge without repentance. As all we have is experience without encounter. As all we have are opinions instead of mercy. As all we have is anger instead of love. As I'm looking into the hearts of people, this isn't just America, this is everywhere, but as I look into the eyes of those who are in despair, wondering where their hope is, you should be oozing hope out of your life. You should be so full of faith that nothing could ever come against you and it actually defeats you. You should be so full of love that no anger can touch you. You should be so full of God's mercy that when you hold the destitute and the broken, you're not apathetic to them, but that you love them. You should be so full of Jesus that he just comes out to every single situation. And if he's not, I understand we're not perfect, but don't let that be your excuse. Get down your knees and say, Jesus, have mercy on me. Because he's so worthy. He's so holy. Rochelle, if you could come here. He's so righteous. And he's so holy. And there's no one I want but Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb. Seated on the throne. We crown you now with many crowns. You reign victorious. High and lifted up. Jesus, Son of God. The darling of heaven crucified. And worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Jesus is here today. And he's here to meet with you. And I don't know about you, but I'm sick of caring about everybody else's opinions. Listening to everybody else's lies. I want Jesus. Is everything to me. He's all that I have. I don't want anything else but him. 